Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago. And at that time, the average expectation of life in someone with myeloma was maybe one to two years. But even just in this last 10 to 12 years, we have doubled, if not tripled, the average survival of patients. I saw a new patient this week, and we had this conversation that based on what we've done over the last decade, my expectation is that patient's going to live more than 10 years. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Kenny Albert. You're listening to the Broadway Hat Podcast with your host, Kyle Hall, the number one podcast for all things Rangers hockey. Welcome back to the Broadway Hat Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Hall, and it is finally here. Rangers training camp starts this week. And if you can believe it, this Sunday, the Rangers will be playing the Islanders uh, the first preseason game of the season, I am pumped. I cannot believe hockey season's here. We got a little taste of uh, of training camp with the prospects on the ice this week, but the big boys are coming in this week. I cannot wait. Hopefully, we'll see a training camp roster at least soon as we're recording this Monday night. Nothing has come out yet, but I'm sure on um, the next couple of days, we'll see a training camp roster. I'm interested to see uh, which of the prospects they keep for main camp. Um, you know, what guys go back, but, uh, it very exciting weekend to watch to both prospect games. Um, I tell you what, the Rangers feed from the Saturday game, it's crazy. You know, the Ra- every time they have something like this, it, normally the Rangers don't even like televise stuff, but they go, they do the stream and it's a guy holding an iPhone, you know, in his hand shaking, you know, it's just like. You know, the production value was uh, if a 14-year-old was trying to uh, shoot a home video. It was it was awful. Um, but, I mean, we got to watch the game of what it was and try to keep track of it. And uh, the first game, the Rangers lost 6-3 to Flyers prospects. But a uh, really good game from Morgan Barron. Morgan Barron was on a line with Will Cooley and Lori Pujanemi. Um, they were really good both games. They were the, the, the best line the Rangers had all weekend. Um, but they fell behind 3 nothing early. They took a ton of penalties. ton of penalties. They're constantly on the penalty kill. Um, they fell behind 3 nothing. Then Rangers scored three straight goals uh, to tie it up at 3. And then the Flyers scored three unanswered. They got empty netter at the end to win 6-3. to three. Um, But Barron made a really nice play. Uh Basically breaking up a play as uh, the, the Flyers are coming out of the zone. Uh, breaks it up. Comes in. Ba- uh, basically a breakaway. Scores a goal. Um, Patrick Kodorenko scored a goal as well. And he had a nice shot. And then he fouled up the shot and chipped it in. And then uh, Pujanemi had a goal that was disallowed. And then he scored another one set up by Will Cooley. A uh, really nice goal there. So... Some good, you know, nice offensive play for the Rangers. Unfortunately, their defense was a little shaky early on, and obviously being on the penalty kill constantly really hurt them. Uh, a couple other things. Uh, Matt Rempe, uh, this kid's 6'8", 240. Uh, he kind of looks like Brian Boyle out there. He's a big guy in front of the net, plays center. Um, he's on the, the Seattle Thunderbirds, I believe, in the WHL, was where he'll probably play this year. He dropped the gloves in the first period of game one, uh, he had a big hit earlier in the period and the flyer guy asked him to go and he did. And man, what a, it was a good fight, really good fight. Um, and then also first round pick Brent Hoffman. I think he took two or three penalties in the game, but that kid, he just hits anything that moves. Um, he made a nice play in the defensive zone. The Rangers were, were stuck in the zone. He came out and laid a nice hit on the defenseman and the boards to uh to break up uh, the play and to get the puck out. Um he did some good things. He he looked pretty good on the penalty on the power play all weekend. 
Um, he had some opportunities there. Couldn't score, but he had some good opportunities. Um, but it, just in general, that kid, and he just flies around the ice looking to hit anyone. Um, so I think Ranger fans are going to like him a lot. Hopefully he can harness the aggression a little bit. I, I think he took maybe four penalties all, you know, the entire weekend between both games. So, uh, didn't help the Rangers on the scoreboard. I think they probably scored, I think three of the times he was in the penalty box. Um, but obviously he's a young kid. And and he kind of played true to where his scouting report was a defensive, you know, strong in a defensive zone, likes to throw the body around, can chip in offensively. Um, We kind of saw all his tools this weekend, but the aggression obviously stood out tremendously. Uh, The guy who I think stood out the most all weekend was Will Cooley. He played great. I mean, both ends, he was really strong. Uh, He had a couple, he scored two goals in the second game. So the second game, the Rangers... Uh, get out, they're, same thing, trailing 2-0, let up a couple power play goals uh, to start off. And then the Rangers came back, Cooley scored two power play goals of the Rangers for the Rangers in a row. And then, um, you know, the all-world prospect, Niels Lundqvist, uh, scored the game winner in the third period on a really nice wrist shot. But Cooley, I mean, all weekend long, he stood out. Uh, him and Barron, I mean, that that line with Pujanemi, they were they were really good, but uh, Cooley was killing penalties. He was playing great in the power play. Um, he really impressed me. I I saw him play, you know, a couple games in Hartford last year. He, you know, he scored a couple goals down there. He played 18 games in Hartford. I think I saw uh, maybe like five or six games that, that he was playing in. And, you know, I thought he was a strong player. He had, you know, played with a little bit of an edge, like to throw the body around. But he really, really impressed me in these games. He was uh, so noticeable out there. It's kind of fitting he was wearing number 50 out there considering he was traded for uh, Elias Anderson. Obviously, he was he had that number 50 on his back when he first came up to the Rangers, so kind of funny to see uh, him wear that number. But uh, I am excited to see him. He'll obviously he'll definitely get invites to the Rangers' main camp this week, I would think. Um, so I'm very interested to see what he does against the big boys out there and, uh, and hopefully see him in some preseason action against um, you know, a little bit of a higher NHL talent than the prospect games. So I think, I honestly think he, there's a lot of guys in his roster. There's a lot of guys ready to, you know, make the next jump. I don't know if Cooley can somehow steal a spot. I think he's only 19 still. Um, they're really tough for him to make this team, but I think it's good. He's going to make it really tough for this Rangers coaching staff to send him, uh, to send him back because, um, I think, and I'm, I'm pumped. I mean, second round pick. 2022 I'm sorry 2020 I'm very excited for his future I I really really thought he had a really strong couple games and from all the reports I saw some people he was pretty much the entire week he stood out in practice as well uh Zach Jones obviously Ranger fans probably know him more than anyone else that played um you know he had a very good couple games yeah not surprising, collected. You know, he had a couple assists. I know he assisted on both the Cooley shot. Cooley was deflected in two of the Jones shots in the power play. Um, but I mean, Zach Jones is a very solid player. You know, he had ten games with the Rangers last year. We saw what he can do. He had four points in ten games. Uh, he had a really good World Championships for Team USA. You know, he was by far their top defenseman. He was a top three player on the team. Um, yeah, he just could get better and better as he matures. And, uh, and learns, you know, obviously the NHL level. But in the end, it's going to probably come down to Zach and Niels Lundqvist for that final spot on the Rangers defensive roster. I, I don't know. Lundqvist, I mean, he played well. He had a couple bad giveaways in his defensive zone. Um, but then he looked really, you know, really, he had some really good plays. Obviously, the game-winning goal was a great shot and great um, offensive possession. Um he really showcases skating skill and getting at the puck out of the zone. You know, you can just see how well he can handle the puck. There was things you really liked and there's things like, okay, yeah, he's a young defenseman still learning. Um, you know, a couple good bad giveaways, a couple, you know, guys not blowing by him, but, you know, beating him into the zone. So, you know, there's things there, but you know, it's going to come down to those two. I really think for that last spot, I don't think Hayek's going to equate into that. I think it's going to be these two kids. And uh, and not for any. If one goes back to Hartford, it's not the end of the world for them to get a couple, a little bit of seasoning down in the AHL. You know, Jones never played in the AHL. He went right from college to the NHL. 
Lundqvist is making the the transition from overseas, so maybe uh, him playing some games in Hartford and and uh, you know playing on Amer- and the North American ice, maybe it's not a bad thing for him. So I mean, we'll see how they both do. In tra- they'll obviously both be in training camp, and both will see time in the preseason. So uh, excited to see that battle play out. And then the last guy I want to talk about from this weekend, Morgan Barron. I mean, he he's a, such a solid player. You can just see he was. Uh, I mean, he was. I said Cooley impressing the most. Barron was their best player. Um, you kind of knew Barron was get play. Obviously, he had some NHL experience. He's you know had twenty one points in twenty one games last year for Hartford. Um, he's probably one of the more veteran players that were out there. He made the great play for his goal, breaking the puck up in the neutral zone and bringing it back in. He just, you know, had a couple assists. He just, he looked really solid in the defensive zone. And I just, I think this is, you know, he's looking to make that jump. I was waiting last year for him to get called up. I was uh, a big uh, supporter of sending down Howden for Barron last year, which never happened. Um, but now that Howden's gone, you know, obviously you still have Kevin Rooney on that fourth line. You know, you got a couple other guys that you bring in this last offseason that are going to be in the mix. But Morgan Barron's going to be right there, um, you know, vying for that a third or fourth line role in this team, somewhere in the bottom six. You know, he can play wing. He can play center. He's versatile. He's killing penalties uh, in these games. So, you know, he's a guy to watch out for in training camp. I think he's going to – he's a guy that you'll probably see play every preseason game and get a really, really long look to see if uh, if he has a spot on this team. Um, and to be honest with you, I hope he does. I really like him. I really like what he – again, the games I watched at Hartford, I thought, you know, every game he was – he played extremely well. Um, you know, I like this game from college, watching some of his college highlights. So he's been a guy that I've been high on for a very long time, and, uh, and I would love to see him get an opportunity this year to, to finally crack that Rangers roster. Uh, so we'll see him. We'll see how that plays out, but like I said, this week training camp starts, and uh, and it was nice to watch some Rangers hockey this week, and even in uh, you know the little streams that we had, uh, and also I want to talk about the goaltending too. Uh, Tyler Boyko and, and Dylan Garrard, they were the two goalies for the Rangers this weekend. You know they both didn't look you know that great in Game One. Um, I think Garaga let up uh, three goals and Boyka let up two goals. And they had the empty netter there. Um, they both played very well in game two. They both made some really good saves. Again, the Rangers defense didn't play tremendously well in front of them. Um, to be honest with you, I wasn't, you know, Braden Schneider was was quiet. Um, Matthew Robertson actually left the game. I think he left the second game with an injury um, or didn't play the second game because of an injury sustained in game one. So hopefully that's nothing too serious. But, um, you know, those guys didn't really stand out. The rest of the defense really, um, you know, they they let up some, you know, some really big scoring opportunities. And the, and the goalies had to make a couple really big saves. So I liked uh, the, the job both those guys did, especially on a couple two-on-ones and some breakaways. And I posted on my Twitter account uh, some highlights from both games. And then I have an article up on bellyupsports.com with just a write-up on both games, some more. Um, breakdown, uh, breakdowns of each guy that I thought was really impressive, and also some highlights individually from those players, some of their goals and saves by uh, the goalies in this last weekend. So make sure you go check that out. But like I said, Sunday, Islanders, Rangers. You got It's preseason hockey. Obviously, it's an NFL football Sunday, but at 7 o'clock, I will be tuned in to the Rangers-Islanders to see that matchup and see uh, see the real, you know, the 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 Senior Rangers back in action. And this week, we have a really, really special guest. Uh, we're joined by former New York Ranger, Sean Pronger. So Sean tells some unbelievable stories in this show. Um, what an awesome conversation. But we talk about growing up with his brother, Chris, who's obviously a Hockey Hall of Famer, uh, and their battles growing up. And, uh, and it's really funny, <laughs> really funny the stories he tells. And then he shares a story about his rookie season. It could be the craziest rookie season I ever heard. Uh, from a, living in an abandoned barn to having his car stolen um, to a broken jaw. Just anything that can go wrong for a guy in their rookie year. It happened to Sean. So 
and he's had so many other great stories about Wayne Gretzky and all the players he played with. So really great, really great interview. Uh, but before we send to an interview, I want to share some more information about our partners over at Magic Hockey. Make sure you go check them out at magichockey.com. Go check them out on Instagram at Magic Hockey. Obviously, training camp's here. Preseason hockey's here. You know, I'm sure your hockey leagues are starting up either now or very soon. So make sure you go check out the website and get your hockey gear from them this year. The lightest tweak on the market. You'll, I mean, if you're looking for the best hockey stick around, you have to go check out Magic Hockey. So please go make sure you go check them out. And if you don't believe me, my man Eddie Olchek, 1994 Stanley Cup champion, can tell you more. Hello, everyone. It's Eddie Olchek. Give a shout-out to everybody at Magic Hockey. You guys are on the verge of uh, launching a new stick. Uh, I guess the correct verbiage is one of the lightest twigs on the market. So I wish you all the best of luck. Hopefully there's lots of goals and assists in those. And uh, maybe for some defensemen and forwards that can't score, uh, maybe some uh, poke checks and back checks with that light twig. So best of luck to everybody at Magic Hockey, and I'm sure I'm going to be following you all at uh, magichockey.com. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years, and he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. We are now joined by a very special guest, an eight-year NHL veteran. He played for seven different NHL teams, including the New York Rangers. Welcome to the show, Sean Pronger. How's it going? Good, good. How's your uh, summer going so far? So far, so good. Just so I clarify, so it doesn't sound like I'm such a suitcase. It was actually, I think, not, 10 seasons, <laughs> seven okay, teams, that... 10 seasons. Just, uh, just I don't want the uh, ratio <laughs> to be accurate. <laughs> Um, growing up in Dryden, Ontario, who was your team growing up? Uh, the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, I was a, uh, I guess Montreal Canadiens fan up until about, I think it was like 1982, whatever the year was when the Oilers beat them in the playoffs for the first time. And I just remember watching them and how you know, they were young and fast and skilled and just entertaining and fun to watch. And Gretzky was my favorite player. So it was, uh, you know, I kind of embraced the Oilers and then they traded them in 88 and then that was kind of like the last time I had a favorite team. I think I was more of a, just a general hockey fan, but you know, I was, uh, I was an Oiler fan growing up and my brother was a Islander fan of all things. Like, I guess that'll make people on the podcast happy. <laughs> Ranger <laughs> podcast. Um, well, they were good then. I mean, they were, yeah. uh, you know, mid eighties, yeah. that was a team and they're playing against the Oilers. I'm sure it was a, talking about your brother, um, hall of famer growing up. What was that rivalry like uh, playing street hockey? And, you know, obviously, He's one of the best defensemen. You were a forward. I'm sure there was some battles. Oh my God. Yeah. It was, uh, it was vicious. I would say, I mean, if it was just him and I, we'd a lot of times play in our basement and uh, you know, as a four, you know, I was, I was a forward, he'd play D and we kind of set up our basement where the couch kind of the edge of the couch was one post and we had this big pillow was another. And so there was like a corner of the, of the um, basement that was just, you know, like wall. It was like, not even, um, uh, it was like made of wood. And so we'd start off playing normal and then he would, I would go around him and then he'd figure it out and he'd literally, he figured out at a very young age how to close the gap. So then I figured out, well, I'm going to dump it behind him. So I'd literally one-on-one -on -one dumping it in and he'd turn around and go get it and I'd ram him into the board, <laughs> into the wall. And so that went on and then he would like tomahawk chop me and then I would go beat the crap out of him. And that was kind of like our usual like daily thing. And then when we played street hockey in front of our house that, you know, we, him and I were the two best players. So they'd separate us. 
and we'd be the captain of each of the teams. And so, but by the end of it, because we were going like, we beat the shit of each other. So, I don't know if I swear on this. Anyway, um, we beat the crap out of each other so much and the game would slow down that they'd eventually put us on the same team and just put more guys on the other team. So it'd be us two against four. And that's kind of how, and the, the line was like, the prong boys are going at it again. And so that would just drag <laughs> the game out. Uh, but yeah, we went at it quite often um, growing up. Now he was known as he had always an edge growing, you know, playing in the NHL. He had his fair share of suspensions. Is that just from you? Is that a rub off? You just beating the crap out of the entire life? I mean, maybe, I don't know. I mean, I'd like to take the credit, but I, I don't know how much credit I could take, but we certainly, um, he certainly had an edge when we went at it. I mean, you know, when I was bigger, so I obviously got the best of him. And then, um, you know, as, as we got older and he got bigger, it's funny how we, we fought fewer and fewer times. <laughs> yeah. uh, you end up going to Bowling Green for college, uh, playing for the legendary Jerry York there. Why did you pick college over the OHL? Uh, you know, it's, you know, kind of where we grew up, uh, it was kind of, you know, it was in the middle of nowhere. There wasn't really an OHL team. I think the nearest one would have been Sault Ste. Marie. So I never really was, you know, that exposed to the OHL. Um, and, you know, a really good friend of the family and you know, one of my coaches uh, went to, to North Dakota and, you know, he, he would talk about college hockey. And that was something that I was interested in, obviously getting an education and, and playing hockey. So I never really considered major junior. There was one, there was one time um, Victoria, the Victoria Cougars expressed an interest and wanted me to come out there and at least, you know, go to training camp or I think, I'm not sure they can, they can't really guarantee a spot, but anyway, they said, yeah, we have a spot for you. And I thought about it. I thought about it. I'm like, you know, I'm not ready to leave home. You know, I think I'd have been like 15 or 16, I think maybe 16. And I'm like, no, we're not ready to leave home yet. And thank God I didn't because they went three and 68 that year. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would have been an absolute disaster. And so, you know, my mind was kind of always focused on getting a scholarship and playing college hockey. And then, you know, I played a year in Thunder Bay for the Thunder Bay Flyers in the USHL and uh, went on a number of recruiting trips and went to Bowling Green and just felt, felt at home. It was, you know, it's a small town and you know, I'm from a small town. Just felt just felt right and fit right. And, um, you know, I was really glad I made that decision, had a chance to play with some, you know, really amazing players. I wish we had a bit more success uh, when we were there. We certainly had a, a team for it, but kind of underachieved. Um, but it was really uh, it was really fun to play for, you know, Coach York. He was uh, he's an amazing person and uh, obviously, you know, you know, the best coach in college hockey history. And two future very good coaches on the team, two future NHL coaches, Dan Bielsma and uh... – and Todd Reardon on that team too. So yeah, some good, uh, some good coaching lineage there. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Uh, after your fresh, I think it was your freshman year, you were selected in the draft uh, by the Vancouver Canucks 51st overall. What was that draft day experience like for you? It was actually quite comical um, because I had no idea, you know, no one really, you know, if you're not a high, you know, first round pick or whatever, no one really tells you what to do unless you have an agent. And, you know, I was in college, so didn't have an agent um you know my dad and i had no clue what we were getting into i think we flew we flew to toronto and rented a car and drove into buffalo with no idea i had one interview uh set up with the vancouver canucks and so i went in went in there i think i had a green blazer for some reason and a pair of khaki pants so i went in there did my interview with them which was you know i'm sitting with uh it was pat quinn Mike Penny and um, Brian Burke. I don't know if you know how big those guys are. All like yeah, six yeah, four, like six four and above, and about three hundred pounds each. And I'm just like, this is intimidating. Um, so anyway, the next day we go, we go to the draft. My dad and I have no idea. We go through the front door like a fan would, and so we walk in and we sit with the fans. So I'm sitting with my dad, a teammate Jeff Wells, and an assistant coach at uh, Bowling Green, Wayne Wilson. So the four of us are in with the, basically the common folk uh, in the stands. All the players and their families are sitting in the lower bowl. I'm in the upper bowl just kind of watching. I have no idea if I'm getting drafted. I scored three goals that year in college hockey. Mind you, I was 17. So I was you know, young, and I think that was my you know, to an advantage, uh, underachieving like that. And um, eventually, you know, I got to Vancouver in the third round. They called my name, which was awesome. And then now the next part was, how do I get down to the floor? Because they know I'm there. Because they talked to me the day before. They know I'm there. And I could see Steve Tandalini up at, looking up into the stands, like, where is this guy? And so I'm talking to the security guard, trying to get down. And he's like, no, buddy, that's, you know, players only. And I'm like, yeah, I know. They just called my name. I need to get down there. So he would let me down. Would let me down. Finally, after, like, a couple minutes of negotiating, he finally, I, I, I think I brought him down with me. 
and Tambellini was there. He's like, all right, yeah, he's, he's with us. So they took me. And uh, I, I think I was four or five people late for a picture. So they take you, you get your jersey, you know, you meet everybody, and then they take you to get your picture taken. And I was behind, I remember Sandy McCarthy, you got drafted behind me, was ahead of, like, he was a couple ahead of me in the pitcher line. That's how long it took for me to get down there. So it was kind of comical that, you know, no idea what we were doing. We were just kind of bumbling around the arena trying to figure out how to get down and, and meet the team that drafted me. But it was, you know, uh, it was quite a thrill. Hear this faint yell from the upper deck of like, yeah, two I'm people up yell, here. yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of funny. That was the year that uh, Eric Lindros got drafted, and that was kind of surreal because, you know, he went up there by the, he got drafted by the Nordiques, didn't put the jersey on, and then he walked out for interviews and and pitchers, and literally all of the media left to follow him out there. So it was almost like the draft was over, and then, you know, they all came back eventually, and you know, it continued. But it was kind of a weird feeling to see like the entire media section and. And, you know, as many people that could cram into the room wherever he went, uh, you know, they all left the floor and went wherever he went. Yeah, it's a crazy situation there. Yeah. Um, after your your senior year that you played for Team Canada internationally in the uh, Spangler Cup, what was that experience like? That was awesome. Uh, that was actually the at Christmas time during my senior year. So do, they okay. have, yeah, it's at, it's at like, you know, it's over the holidays and uh that was my first experience playing overseas and, and, and playing in Switzerland. And it was, uh, it was incredible. The fans are unbelievable. Like if you can imagine, you know, you know, you see all the soccer uh, stadiums and how nuts the fans are. Well, if you could, you know, basically shrink it down and put a roof on it, that's how it is in uh, international hockey is they, they don't sit down, they're singing and drinking and chanting. And at that time smoking, like my Jersey smelt or uh, yeah, it smelt more like smoke than sweat. <laughs> it was like the, it was like a massive party and it was a good time i mean we our team didn't do that well but um yeah it was quite the experience and i mean davos switzerland is gorgeous and the rink is probably one of the coolest rinks in the world you know it's all wood and it's, i mean it's just it's amazing it was it was great i was really glad i went over so your first pro season was the nhl it's one of the lockout years um to start off with you start off in the echl and i was reading from your book um journeyman that you have a great story about you were living in an abandoned barn uh playing in the echl for the not in knoxville tennessee so you gotta tell me more about that yeah yeah i mean it seemed like a good idea at the time um <laughs> so part of the deal when you play these at least back then you get your weekly you know paycheck and then they cover your rent and they give you like money for food sometimes, you know, we had a deal at the, country, the old country buffet where we could eat for free. So, you know, we got to save three ninety nine every meal we ate there. Um, but we, so a couple, there's me and two other guys, we're gonna live together. And uh, you know, they had apartments set up for us, but this you're kind of a fan of the team said, hey, listen, I bought this farm and on it is this farmhouse and barn. And I'm gonna tear the farmhouse down and build this like mansion, but I'm not doing it till the spring. You know, if you got guys that want to stay there, they can stay there for free. So all we heard was free. We, we went there and looked at it, didn't ask any questions. So we go, it's got, it's, so the house is whatever. I mean, it was, you know, very um, mediocre at best was the house, but it had a massive barn. So all we kept thinking, like, we are going to have the biggest parties at this, in this barn. We got a horseshoe pit. Like, it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. Well, we should have, a couple questions we should have asked. One, is there heat? Two, is there cable? Three, is there a rat problem? Um, so they had all three of those issues. And uh, I didn't realize at the time, um, I didn't do a lot of research on Tennessee or Knoxville. I didn't realize how cold it got in the winter. And it gets below freezing there. And if you don't have any heat on, um, the pipes freeze. So we had issues with the pipes freezing. And yeah, so as it turns out, we were there for a couple months and never did have a party at the house and or the barn and had to, uh, had to use the, the facilities at the Flying J truck stop about two miles down the road. But it was, it was in the middle of nowhere. Like we were on a farm in the middle of nowhere, uh, 30 minutes from the rink, which was you know, not convenient. It was, you know, it was a good lesson for us, but it was, uh, it was comical looking back. You know, <laughs> I think we were there over Christmas. We had a Christmas tree with Bud Light cans on. With, we all had floor heaters because there's no heat in the place. I don't think we watched TV for the first three months because you know, there was no cable. It was, yeah, it was, uh, it was funny. And also later that year, you get your truck stolen too, and you had a broken jaw. That's that's quite the first season. Oh my yeah, this young man has a very trying rookie season. So that yeah, so then I eventually signed with Anaheim, and uh, again, you know, me being young and dumb, I didn't ask the right questions. I should have asked if someone would ship my car out. 
I just, I just assumed that it was up to me to get it shipped out. So, um, you know, I left it at the farmhouse. My dad flew out to Knoxville to pick it up and was, and drove it to San Diego. So I have my truck now. It's a, it's a white Grand Cherokee with Ontario vanity plates. I had my initials and number. Well, it was my number from Bowling Green, which I thought I was going to carry with me forever. But as it turns out, I'll, I would go through probably 16 different numbers. Um, so it's SJP11 is my license plate with you know, Ontario Canada plates. I lasted San Diego for two months and just wasn't playing. So I'm like, okay, I want to go back, hoping I was going to go back to Knoxville. And, and you know, they decided that I'm going to go back to, I'm going to go to their, you know, I started with Anaheim, their farm team's in San Diego. And the East Coast affiliate is in Greensboro, North Carolina. So again, not asking the right questions. I just asked to get sent back to the East Coast League, like no problem, and sent me to Greensboro. I'm like, all right, here's another new team. And so I parked my, my <laughs> Cherokee parked uh in front of the travel lodge is where i was staying in san diego and so it's there in the mean while it's there waiting to get picked up i go to greensboro and play my second game there i break my jaw which is another story um it's, it's just comical so there i am broken jaw wired shut i don't know i don't know my, my truck isn't is supposed to come it doesn't come so i call the, the, the trucking company or the shipping company and they tell me that it's not there when i when they went to pick it up and so here I am with a broken jaw. I'm literally in the back of a bar on a payphone talking to the company. They tell me it's been stolen or it's not there. So I'm, now I'm assuming it's stolen. So now I got to call the cops and try to explain with my jaw wired shut that my vehicle got stolen in San Diego. So anyway, I'm like, that, this is awesome. But um, if you got time, I can tell you about the broken jaw story, which is kind of funny too. Yeah, um, let's hear that. So yeah, so my second game in Greensboro. Um, I was standing, it was a five on three. I'm standing in front of the net. I get a, uh, a Glenn Stewart took a slap shot. Rod Langway, the, the NHL legend, is playing in the East Coast League for Rally. Um, I think it was Rally Ice Caps. And so, anyway, he deflects it, goes up in my jaw, and it smokes me in the side of the face. And I go down. I know something's not right. And I, for some reason, thought that when you break your jaw, that it unhinges and just like, uh, like I thought it was going to like unhinge and like flop on my chest. So, I'm scared. There's kids in the front row. I'm like, so I'm holding my jaw. Blood's pouring out of my mouth. I hold it. I get up and I, the trainer's running out to me. I skate past and I go to the locker room and I'm just like standing in front of the mirror. Like, all right, here we go. And there's just blood like just pouring out. And I go, oh, all right. My jaw didn't unhinge. I'm like, all right, maybe I'm all right. So I'm, I'm sticking my tongue between my teeth and I'm like, oh, maybe I, I must've lost a tooth, but I'm looking at my teeth and like, they're all there. I'm like, this is, this is weird. So anyway, I go back out. So the. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's chief medical officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago. And at that time, the average expectation of life in someone with myeloma was maybe one to two years. But even just in this last 10 to 12 years, we have doubled, if not tripled, the average survival of patients. I saw a new patient this week, and we had this conversation that based on what we've done over the last decade, my expectation is that patient's going to live more than 10 years. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Iowans, you have dozens of betting options. Try a sports book built by bettors and run by bettors. Fred Doan started BetFred over 50 years ago with funds from a winning bet, and he's been known for delivering the best betting experience ever since. Visit BetFredSports.com to give us a try. New customers betting $50 get 111 in Fred bets and up to 200 Fred bets per week for five weeks. Terms apply. Proud partner of the Iowa Cubs and Iowa Wild. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Doc comes in. This is an East Coast League doctor. Not that that's anything bad about that, but this guy was not, not qualified to do anything. So he gets the wood thing and is like looking around. He's like, oh, it looks like you just bruised your gum. Like, well, this doesn't look, feel like a bruise or look like a bruise, but you know, small town kind of kid, whatever, whatever the doctor says is the gospel. So, all right. So I go back out there, finish the game, go into, we go into overtime, go in the shootout. I wish I could tell you I scored the winning goal, but I did not. I missed. Anyway, the game's over. I go back in. I'm like, Doc, there's something wrong with my face. 
He looks at it again. No, I think it's, I think it's just a bruise. I'm like, all right. So on, I go on the bus. We got to take the bus back to, uh, to Greensboro. We got pizza on the bus. I go to take a bite of pizza and literally almost passed out from pain. So I'm like, all right. So I'll just, I figure I'll just drink my blood uh, the way back as in my meal. So we get back to Greensboro and I'm staying in a hotel because I just got there. So I go to the hotel, wake up. There is something wrong with my mouth. Go to the rink, talk to the trainer. Hey, dude, there's something wrong with my mouth. He's like, all right, well, after practice, we'll have the, our, our dentist look at it. I go, after practice, I got to practice with this thing again. So I go up for practice, come back in, go to the, I think it was the ortho, orthodontist or whatever. And uh, they take an x-ray. He's like, yeah, sure enough. Yeah, your jaw's broken. I'm like, no shit, it's broken. And what happened was it hit me in the side of the face and my, my jaw plate split right here. And so that's why I could stick my tongue between my teeth. So yeah, wired shut. So then, so then I, I, um, I get, I got to get knocked out get wired shut. Uh, one of the guy, people from the, the office on the team drive me to the hotel. So they, before the surgery, they're like, go, go get this pain medication. They gave me a prescription. I, of course, did not get it. They can, I'll just get it after. I get home and I, I feel no pain. I'm like, this is fine. Well, you know, I didn't I realize like I was still kind of under anesthesia. So I never got the pain medication. I woke up at one in the morning in absolute agony to try to claw the steel off my teeth. And I had no idea what to, it's one in the morning. The, the store didn't open until eight. So I got seven hours to kill until I can get the pain meds. So I literally ran a bath, uh, like a hot bath, laid in the hot bath. It got cold, it, it emptied it, filled it up. I did that for seven hours, trying to distract myself from the pain. I had to walk to the pharmacist. And then I was literally banging on the door for them to open it so I could go get pain medication. But it was, I would never wish that injury on anybody. It is brutal. So it was a fun rookie season then. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Then to top it off, I go home and I'm filling out insurance paperwork for my grand Cherokee. And so here I, I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm going to, of course I had custom made Titleist clubs in there. I had, you know, custom made suits. I got all this awesome stuff that was in there. And my dad's looked at me. He's like, really, really son, you want to, you want to commit insurance fraud um, right now? And I'm like, all right, fine. I, you know, I put down all the stuff that I had, but it was a, yeah, it was a tough, uh, it was a tough year. I, you know, looking back, I probably should have hung them up then. Um, and I think maybe I got, I got mad. I might've got rewarded for sticking it out because I, I mean, it all, <laughs> the all signs pointed to get out. <laughs> like it was like a horror, it was like a horror movie and there's blood dripping down the wall. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm going to stay for another day, a couple of days. Um, yeah. Well, the next season was a lot better. You make your NHL debut with the Mighty Ducks. Um, what was that in the, like, what were the nerves like going into that first game? I'll tell you, it was like almost like a relief when I got the call. Um, I, I thought it was a joke at first. In fact, I took a, um, I was so excited that I parked, I drove to um, Baltimore airport and I was so like, so excited that I want, I wanted to get to Anaheim as soon as like without incident so I could get on the ice and at least have one game in the NHL. So I parked in like short-term parking because I had no idea like if I was going up for a game or how long I was going up for. So I had one suit. I think I was in a track suit. And that was about all I brought and parked in short-term parking, got to Anaheim, realized like, Oh, well, that's the problem. So I had to call my roommate. He had to pick up my car, um, get there. And I, I, you know, I only thought it was one game. Um, and I never even looked at who we were playing. Like it was, we played against Washington capitals. And I was like, no matter what happens, I gotta, I gotta make the lineup. I gotta play this one game just so I can say I played one game in the NHL. And up playing that game. Finally, then I looked at the, um, schedule like so i played so that was a wednesday night friday we're in detroit and then saturday night was in toronto uh on hockey night in canada and i'm like okay i gotta get on i gotta play in that game i need to have one time where i'm in hockey night in canada all the boys can see me play and so i was like cross my fingers they weren't going to tell me to leave and so i just showed up thursday to the rink no one said anything to me i just got on the jet got to detroit like just play good enough to make the lineup for Saturday. That's it. And uh, I was lucky enough to do that. So that was a, that was a throw. Obviously the first game was incredible, but to play, uh, you know, in hockey night in Canada, uh, my third game in NHL was awesome. I think the game after that, I think you got your first NHL point at MSG, right? Yeah, I think so. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So not a bad place to get your first NHL point. No, no, it was, um, yeah, that was just uh, like, you know, I felt like I was in a fantasy camp, you know, just coming from where I came from, you know, like from no heat to, you know, flying, flying private was, uh, it's been a, it was a quite a journey. 
Uh, so you spent a few years with the Ducks. You play with some unbelievable players there. Um, you know, Yari Curry, someone who I'm sure you idolized growing up too, was on that team. Um, Timu Solani, Paul Correa, just some unbelievable all-time players. Yeah, no, I was, uh, it was a thrill. I mean, Paul and Timu were in their heyday and it was, I mean, it was, it, it was another level where those guys were at, but, you know, watching them in practice was just um, kind of mesmerizing. And then, uh, you know, with Yari there, a guy that I grew up watching and just get to meet him and hang out with him and, and spend time with him. And what an incredible person he is, uh, was just a thrill for me. You know, one of my fondest memories was, I think we were playing uh, Phoenix in the first round of the playoffs at 97. And uh, it was after the game, for, I think it would have been game three. I think we had two days, whatever it was, two days. Anyway, after the game, I uh, went down, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm half Finn. My mom was born in Finland, you know, and saunas are a big deal. We grew up with a sauna. So there was a sauna in the hotel. So I go down there and there's Yari and Timu, two other Finns. So the three of us are in the sauna together having beers. Uh, and it was like, I'm like, you can, sh- I can stop now. Cause this is an absolute <laughs> thrill. It was awesome. Um, but yeah, those guys were incredible to watch and, and just great people. I mean, t- you know, Timu and Paul couldn't be more opposite, but you know, we're absolute magic on the ice together. Uh, after you, you're in your third year, you get traded at the deadline or late in the season to Pittsburgh for their playoff run. What is that like going from a team that's struggling and out of the playoffs to a team that was in the first place or, or running towards first place? Uh, does that for, for players that just like rejuvenize you for the season? Is that just like a little extra pep in your step? Yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, it did. I mean, I didn't want to leave Anaheim, but it was that year was a, a struggle. Um, and then, you know, to get traded to, you know, I think, I think Pittsburgh was in second place in their conference at the time. Uh, to get, you know, knowing you're going to go to playoffs was uh, a thrill. And then getting there, you know, it was unfortunate. I got hurt my fifth game there and, you know, broke my foot. And then I, you know, I tried to rush back and that was, you know, that was a mistake. I came back too early, but still had a chance to play in the playoffs uh, in Montreal, which was a thrill uh, playing in the Canadian city during the playoffs uh, was fun, but you know, it was, it certainly, uh, it certainly gets the excitement going again when you go from a, you know, you're out of the playoffs in February to, in a, in a, almost with a contender uh, at least they're going to be in the playoffs and it was it was um it was a lot of fun so guys that you know nowadays when you see them <laughs> it's like it's like they get a boost of energy because it's like the season was going to be over and now you know what you could be going into you know playing in june yeah uh yager in his prime on that team i mean he's just unbelievable uh, we've had some yeah. guys tell some great stories Do you have any good yager moments uh, yeah, I mean, obviously unbelievable talented, but like the way he practiced was amazing. I mean, he would put a weight on his stick and he'd do all the skating drills, all the drills with two hands on a stick. Like we'd get skated and got, you know, it's a lot easier to skate with only one hand. He would like keep two hands on a stick when he did skating drills just to practice like that. Cause he was so strong on the puck. Uh, and that was why, like the way he practiced, but I'll, I'll say one story that comes to mind uh robert lang who's really you know really strong awesome guy um but really strong in the weight room and i remember uh in, so i was in pittsburgh and i can't remember if it was training camp or during the season but anyway robert lang gets under the in the bench press and uh he's got 225 on and he does it 12 times rather easily and you can see yager sitting there watching because all the checks you know they're all buddies and hang out together it's like the check mafia there's like seven of them on the team at the time so yager's watching him throw this weight around so he gets under the, he gets in the, on the bench under the bar and you can tell like he's never done bench press before just by the way he's trying to grab the bar and then and 225 is no joke. Like that's, that's a legit amount of weight, especially if you've never done bench press before. So he gets out of there and he gets it off. His hands aren't even balanced. And he literally like fumbles his way around and cranks out 12 reps at 225, having never bench pressed before, have zero form. That's how like naturally strong this guy is. And then put that with his, you know, talents. I mean, he was, uh, you know, unstoppable when he you know, put his mind to it. So you get traded early in the season from Pittsburgh and a, a really big trade uh, with Peter Nedved for Kovalov uh, to the Rangers. Um, what was that like? I mean, another trade coming to New York and you walk into the locker room, Wayne Gretzky's standing there. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, well, first of all, the trade, I think it went down. It was Nedved, myself and Tamer. So for Kovalev. Harry York, Harry York and, yeah. fif- and 15 million. So I think it was Kovalev for Nedved, Tamer for York and me for 15 million is the way we kind of sounds all right. Fig- yeah. Yeah. Figured it out. Uh, but I remember when, I, when Kevin Constantine told me I got traded to the, to New York, I thought the Islanders, 
So, so he's like, yeah, Sean, we just traded you to the, to New York. I'm like, oh, all right. He's like, yeah. So, um, you know, the Rangers are in Buffalo. You're going to fly there. I go, the Rangers. Cause I knew all, I mean, all the guys on the Rangers were all the guys that I grew up watching. You know, you had obviously Gretzky, Graves, Kevin Stevens, uh, John McClain, Brian Leach, Mike Richter, Al Samuelson, Jeff Bukaboom. I mean, this was like the who's who, like of all the guys that I grew up watching. And I'm like, oh my God, this is awesome. Um, and so I remember my, I go to Buffalo to meet the team and, uh, McTavish is like, right when I get there, I'm like, I, should, I mean, the writing was on the wall, but I wasn't going to stay there that long. He's like, yeah, prongs, you're not going tonight. I'm like, shocker. All right. And then, uh, so I sat out that game and then, you know, I think I was there for three and a half months, but it was just a, uh, like a real thrill to, to obviously play on that team and, and just to watch, you know, I grew up idolizing Gretzky and, and to just to be able to interact with him and, and see how he operates, uh, you know, what turned out to be his last year, but even in, during his last year, the, the passion he had for the game was, you know, unreal. Um, and then, you know, the city itself, like I love, I mean, I love New York and it was just awesome to be a part of the Rangers in New York. Uh, it was unfortunate that we weren't, I think we were better on paper than we did than we played during the games, uh, unfortunately. And, you know, didn't, you know, we just struggled the, kind of the whole year. But it was, uh, you know, one of the thrills was playing in New York and obviously playing with Gretzky. And you get traded from the Rangers out to the Kings, play for Larry Robinson, who's another NHL legend. Um, you know, Luke Robitaille, Rob Blake, some awesome names out there too with the Kings. Yeah, no, I was, uh, you know, I was lucky to play with some of the players that I played with. Um, yeah, Larry Robinson was... You know, you know, I grew up watching him when I was, you know, a lot younger, you know, well, it was in the seventies when I was, when I was watching him, but the passion he had for the game and for the team, like he, he like cared, you could tell he cared. I mean, I remember one, one uh, meeting we had, like we were losing, you know, I think I just got there at, like one of the, I think it was one of the first meetings I was, at. I don't even know if we had a game yet. And, you know, we're, I was in there and he, you know, he was almost in tears, um, you know, trying to figure out what was wrong with the team and what, you know, what we needed to do to be better. And just to see the depth with which he cared uh, was eye-opening for me. And, uh, you know, something that I, you know, you know, you can't forget that when you see like, you know, a, a coach, especially a coach, because usually they're like screaming at you, not like, you know, almost in tears because they care so much and just want to know why we can't win the game. Um, so, yeah. And then, you know, just, just to interact with all these great players, you know, uh, you know, Blakey and uh, I think, who else was there? Was it Stumple and, you know, Jason Allison was there. Um, uh, yeah. Luke Robitaille, Luke Robitaille and Rob Blake were just, incre- I mean, they're all, I mean, they're all just incredible people. You sign with Boston, you play with another absolute legend, Ray Bork there and a 20 year old kid named Joe Thornton, who's still kicking around at 42 years old. Uh, so what was the, what was Thornton back like then? You know, seeing him as a 20 year old and is, are you shocked that he's still playing now? I'm not uh, shocked because he, I mean, he just has that youthful, like, I mean, he's just a kid at heart. Right? I mean, he can't help himself. He loves playing hockey. You can tell that he's just a kid. He doesn't let think much, much, many things affect him, um, you know, and he's just a great guy. So I played with him for, you know, a hot minute. I think I was there for six weeks um, up the one time I got called up uh, when he was there. And uh, then, it, you know, I was obviously, tra- obviously training camp. And then, you know, I got called up in uh, like late October, early November and hung out with them for a bit. I think we went to the, actually went to the uh, practice round of the Ryder Cup. I remember we were hanging out a little bit and then, we, you know, I got, then I got sent down, I got called up and we spent like, you know, whatever, four or five weeks together. And then that was it. I was gone. And uh, that was in 1999. I saw him in 2010 after he won the gold medal for team Canada at the Olympics. And he came right up to me. He's like, prongs. How's it going? I haven't seen this guy in a decade and I was never even a big part of his life, but that's the kind of, you know, he's just a good dude. And then, you know, playing, you know, watching Ray Bork um, and how he is was just a thrill. He, uh, an incredible guy, uh, obviously an unbelievable player, but the respect that he got in Boston, there was, we, <laughs> we did a drill it was a skating drill in training camp where we had guys line up on uh, like, like there's four groups, uh, one on the blue line. Like if you imagine light ice is cut in half, one on this blue line and one on that blue, like the same blue line, but across from each other. And then on the other blue lines and just basically just skate around in a circle. 
Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago. And at that time, the average expectation of life in someone with myeloma was maybe one to two years. But even just in this last 10 to 12 years, we have doubled, if not tripled, the average survival of patients. I saw a new patient this week, and we had this conversation that based on what we've done over the last decade, my expectation is that patient's going to live more than 10 years. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Iowans, you have dozens of betting options. Try a sports book built by bettors and run by bettors. Fred Doan started BetFred over 50 years ago with funds from a winning bet, and he's been known for delivering the best betting experience ever since. Visit BetFredSports.com to give us a try. New customers betting $50 get 111 in Fred bets and up to 200 Fred bets per week for five weeks. Terms apply. Proud partner of the Iowa Cubs and Iowa Wild. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. And so the idea is like, don't let the next group catch you. Well, whatever group Bork was in, everybody caught him. So all three groups caught him, but no one passed him. So there you got the entire, like 30 of us skating behind Ray Bork as he's going around and around. So I think it was like some ridiculous amount of time. Like we were skating for, I mean, I'll say 10 minutes. It probably was like four minutes, but whatever it was, we all caught him. And he, we just, no one had the, no one wanted to pass him. Like you don't want to disrespect him and pass uh, Ray Bork. And I think that just kind of goes to show you the amount of respect that guys had for him. Um, so later on, you, so you end up in Columbus for a couple of years with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, Rick Nash was a rookie then. Another guy who had an unbelievable career. What was it like seeing him come in his rookie year? Uh, it, was, it was, you know, you could tell this kid was going to be amazing. Um, he was 17, no, sorry, 18 when he came in. And just the... Well, I mean, six foot four, 215 pounds, and just had the softest hands. Um, I think, well, it was Ray Whitney on the team, and I think Rick Nash probably I think it was, next, yeah, best, yeah. next best hands. But, uh, you know, this kid was, you know, wasn't going anywhere. Just, you know, as a, as a journeyman that I was, you always keep an eye on the young guys that are going to take your spot. And it's not so much, you know, he was taking my spot, but he was just a guy to go on the roster and somebody to get knocked down to take my spot. Um, but lucky enough, um, I was able, somebody, some young kid that should have been there, uh, held out for a contract and just opened the door for me to stay. So I got to stay for the whole year. Um, but just to watch him kind of grow as a, as a player over the years, um, you know, I sat with him on the plane. Uh, we sat near each other in the locker room and then he lived in the same kind of uh, townhomes section that I lived in. So he'd come over for dinner, you know, a couple times a, you know, a couple times a week. Um, so we hung out quite a bit and just a great kid. I mean, obviously he's like, you know, he was 18, um, but just a humble, great guy and he was on that team as well and so did um you know he came over right away and and, and said hi which was kind of cool and i had my daughter there that he met when she was like one so it was just really cool uh to see these guys that they, you know they didn't forget i was i was no one in their career like i was just a guy that happened to be on their team on one particular moment in time but they you know him and joe both kind of made their way over to say hi to me which is great it's very cool yeah uh so your career came full circle you get traded back to the canucks your final year <laughs> And I want to talk about your last NHL game was a, quite the eventful game, the Todd Bertuzzi incident. You're on the ice for that. So, I mean, walk me through that crazy, crazy incident. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, it was a massive game because uh, I don't know if you remember the year prior, um, Vancouver and Colorado were battling for the division title, I think. And I believe Vancouver lost that game, eventually lost the division title and then lost home ice. And I think lost to, I don't know, if they, they lost to either St. Louis or, Colorado in the playoffs or something like that 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 one game was kind of a big a big deal the year before so this was this game was supposed to be a big deal now you know a couple of weeks earlier uh Steve Moore kind of cheap shot at Marcus Nasland um but that was kind of on the back burner for this particular game like at least in the, in the um the pre-game notes like there wasn't a whole lot said um about anything other than like we need to win this game and I think the reason why the game got out of hand, well, I mean, obviously the reason why the game got out of hand was because it was nine to two, um, <laughs> like early, I think it was five, nothing, um, in the first period. Um, so it was, 
something bad was going to happen. Like it was just like, it was a, it was a bad feeling to kind of see what was going on. You know, like guys were challenging every, every shift. And I, I felt bad for him. Um, he probably shouldn't even have been in the lineup. Like if they were smart, they just left him out, but I guess you got to play somebody. And uh, so he was out there. He was, you know, I'd have been scared. He was, I think, you know, he was scared. He, I think he fought uh, Matt cook and then, you know, everybody was challenging him, you know, you know, I challenged him the shift that he, uh, that Bertuzzi hit him. I challenged him just before. And, uh, you know, it was, you know, just unfortunate. I remember just, I lined up like the pot was like a control breakout and he's the right winger. I was the left winger. I came down and kind of gave him a couple cross checks and asked him to go and he skated away, went down the ice. And then that's when Bertuzzi kind of had got missile lock on him and just grabbed him. And I didn't see it. I just heard it. I heard the crowd roar. And then, I look over and see him kind of face down and then just the pile up. It was like, you know, Moore down Bertuzzi on top of him. And I think it was Nicolition on top of Bertuzzi. And then I was on Nicolition and then I could hear Nicolition screaming, like, get off, you know, get off. He's hurt. And then through the pile, I can see the blood just kind of pooling. It's like, just this, oh, it was awful. And so everybody kind of gets off. And um, so I'm literally on top of Bertuzzi. They pull everybody off. The next time I saw Todd Bertuzzi, that was in March, 2004. The next time I saw him was August, 2008 in Anaheim. They got him off the pile, off the ice and out of the building in like 15 minutes. And it was, uh, it was just a surreal scene. It was awful. Um, you know, I'm sure Todd, I mean, I taught him, was, his intention was not to ruin his career, but it was, uh, you know, it was brutal to be a part of and to see it. And, you know, it was just a, yeah, it was it was it was obviously very unfortunate. It was awful to be a part of. Now you leave the ice. Obviously, the rest of that game is still game to be played. So I mean, what is going through your head on the bench? Like everyone's basically a sitting duck at that point. Like just well, for... yeah, but I mean, the, the one thing that was, I guess, I don't want to say the good news, but you know, they had a lot of skilled players over there, and so you know, they had Peter Worrell as well, um, and we, you know, there, there was guys in our team that could obviously handle themselves. I think that, I think everybody just kind of wanted to get the game over with. And that was kind of the end of it. I, I mean, uh, there may have been one more fight after that. I mean, Brad may had an unbelievable game that was kind of lost in him. And I, every time I see him, I go, dude, why does no one talk about your game? It was like their best game of your uh, life. He had two fights, two goals. He had like 80 minutes in penalties. Like he, he literally, <laughs> he scored a goal, skated around in a circle and went and challenged the goalie both times. Like he almost scored identical goals and challenged the goalie both times, gotten two fights um yeah he had a, quite a game but that was you know obviously lost on it because of the uh, uh Bertuzzi incident but yeah the game I think kind of went without incident and I think everybody just kind of wanted to get the game over with after that because it was just you know it was a weird feeling to be a part of and you know the fact that it, you know Colorado had so many good players kind of in the lineup that like I don't think they wanted to lose you know if things got you know if guys start pairing off then you know they're going to have their skill guys are going to be exposed so I um yeah I'm glad I'm glad nothing more came of it so you fittingly wrote the book titled Journeyman. Uh, what led you to wanting to write that book and to kind of reflect on your career? And, and looking back, and, and you, I've seen people write about um, the book and some players that have written uh, comments about it and just the grind that goes through, you know, someone like yourself playing for, I think it was all 16 teams over 11 seasons professionally. Yeah. Um, so what, I guess, what kind of impact have you seen that book make on other young hockey players? Yeah, I don't. I mean, for me, it was uh, it was almost therapeutic to be honest with you. Like, it, it was uh, kind of fun to write and look back and reflect um, from a safe place, knowing that nothing bad's going to happen to me. I'm not going to get traded or set down or whatever. Um, you know, kind of started innocently as a as a blog on my brother's website, and then you know, kind of there was a following, and I'm like, well, I got a lot more of this, and um, so it was just kind of just kind of just raw to start with, and then you know, got a publisher that kind of helped me and Dan Murphy. Um, you know, kind of get, put some kind of meat behind it. And uh, yeah, for me, it was helpful to kind of relive some of the memories. And it was funny, like I was playing for the men's league at the time and it was amazing all the memories that would flood back by just being in a locker room and like listening to the kind of constant, you know, the usual hockey talk and just kind of guys being guys um, brought me back. And so it was kind of, it was kind of fun to, to write it. Um, and then as far as like, I, you know, I've had great feedback. I mean, it was, really incredible when the it first came out uh, the phone calls that I got from like coaches and GMs and players like and my, my brother called me he's like dude I had no idea you were going through that <laughs> and, like my parents were like upset like why didn't you tell us 
I'm like, I don't know. What am I going to say? I'm like, I'm playing kind of in the NHL. Like what, if, what do I have to <laughs> complain about? Um, but it was, you know, I think for young, young players, I, you know, hopefully it's like, you realize like, it's not all, I, I don't think it was meant, it was not meant to deter people, but it was meant to like, let people know, like, you know, kind of eyes wide open, like some of the things that people go through to get to where they're going, you know, it's not all straight line, you know, there's gonna be some, you know, fits and starts along the way, hopefully not as many as I had, but you know, they, there are out, they are out there and it's not easy. And I wanted people to realize like, when you see a guy get called up and he's out there, know that it's not an easy, it's not easy just to get there. And some, you know, the, uh, the flights and buses you got to take just to make it to your first NHL game. Um, it can be a lot. All right. A couple of rapid fire questions and close up here. Uh, first off, favorite city you played in? New York. New York. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm, we'll take it. We'll take it's, it. It's, it was. I mean, I mean, I have a few, but I would say New York was from a city standpoint was my favorite. Favorite NHL player to watch now? I mean, how do you not say Connor McDavid? I'd say Connor McDavid and Nathan McKinnon are two of the you know, most exciting, I think. Randy Carlisle's favorite pronger brother? Ooh, I'd have to say me. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Your brother got him a cup, but we'll take that. All right. Um, uh, favorite prank? Favorite prank or story? Funny story? Oh, my God. He's putting on the spot now. I'm trying to think now. Oh, where do I start? Uh, you know what? I don't know what it is, but I can tell you Ray Whitney was behind it. I can say that. <laughs> and then uh, looking back now on your career, you close your eyes. What's the one moment you go back to? I'd say my first NHL game. Um, just because, you know, the you, well, we went through my rookie season uh, in pro. You know, that was, uh, you know, I could have easily just hung them up. Like it was, you know, it was not easy. It was not fun. And uh, I was kind of like, it really was eye-opening and reward like uh, to understand like if you just kind of hang on long enough you know good things happen so it was a great kind of um lesson for me in life really if you just kind of stick with it you know eventually kind of things will will work out for you and so i think that was it was a good lesson i take away you know even now um but that was an absolute thrill because you know when you play one you know one nhl game that's something you can't take away from you you can just you can call yourself an nhler i guess (laughs) (laughs) well sean thanks so much for joining us thanks for taking the time Awesome. Thanks, man. I appreciate it being on here. Take care. Thank you again to Sean Pronger for joining us this week. Uh, what an awesome conversation. Some unbelievable stories there. That rookie story. I mean, I, I've told about 20 people already about that rookie story after I talked to him last week. What? Just an unbelievable season. He said he should have shut it down right then. Um, I mean, just, it was incredible, incredible, um, calling the police with a broken jaw that your car is stolen after you get sent down to the ECHL in Knoxville, Tennessee. I mean, um, this is a crazy, crazy story, but, uh, I can't thank him enough for taking the time out of his day to, uh, to join us this week. And that does it for episode 41 of the Broadway Hat Podcast. We have some really great guests lined up. We have a couple 94 Stanley Cup champions lined up. We have a couple uh, NHL media members lined up. We're trying to set up another um, NHL superstar to come on the show uh, to preview this next season. So we have a lot of stuff coming up that I am so excited for to preview this next NHL season. And obviously our normal guests to learn about their careers and everything. So I am so pumped uh, to share all that with you. Um, Some really exciting stuff coming up. So Make sure you are subscribed to the show on Apple Podcasts. You do not miss any of these awesome new shows coming up. Uh, Make sure you follow the show on Spotify. Obviously, you can follow us anywhere you get uh, your podcasts on Pandora, um, on Apple. I'm sorry, on Google Play, on Amazon products. Make sure you follow us on social media. We are on Twitter at Broadway Hat Pod. You can follow my personal account at KHALLNY. Make sure you go check out. Oh, my latest articles on belly up at bellyupsports.com. Uh, we have our, just like I said earlier in the show, we have our prospect uh, camp right up. Uh, I'll have a training camp right up once they release the roster and that gets going. Uh, obviously we'll have some game breakdowns in the preseason as well. We'll keep an eye on those young guys and those key position battles as Ranger camp develops. Uh, make sure you go check us out on Instagram at the Broadway hat podcast. Also on Facebook at the Broadway hat podcast. 
basically anywhere you can find social media, we are there. Anywhere you can find a podcast, we are there. Also, make sure you go check us out every Wednesday. We are live on Unhinged Radio, powered by Belly Up Sports. We are live every Wednesday at 6.30. So make sure you go check us out on Unhinged Radio. And thank you to all of our new listeners from Unhinged. Uh, I've gotten a couple messages from people that have started to follow the show through them. So uh, obviously, we're only about a month in on the Unhinged Radio. And uh, really excited to have you as a new listener. So thank you to everyone who's reached out and listened on that new platform. And we will see you next week. Iowans, you have dozens of betting options. Try a sports book built by bettors and run by bettors. Fred Doan started BetFred over 50 years ago with funds from a winning bet, and he's been known for delivering the best betting experience ever since. Visit BetFredSports.com to give us a try. New customers betting $50 get 111 in Fred bets and up to 200 Fred bets per week for five weeks. Terms apply. Proud partner of the Iowa Cubs and Iowa Wild. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF.